0: Due to the nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of animal abuse, torture, druggings, and suicide. Consider this when deciding how and when you'll listen.
1: Thanksgiving, 1953, was probably a bit lonelier than usual for Frank Olson. The top-secret military scientist was in New York City, on a work trip of sorts, which meant spending the holiday away from his wife Alice and their kids.
0: Lately, Frank had been thinking about resigning from his job, but over the last few days, it seemed like things were turning around.
1: The day after Thanksgiving, he phoned his wife Alice, said he was feeling better about the conditions and was looking forward to coming home. He'd see her bright and early.
0: But before the sun rose that next morning, there was a knock at the Olson family door.
1: Eric, Frank's nine-year-old son, crept down into the living room, probably expecting to see his dad standing on the stoop. But it wasn't Frank. It was his boss, Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Rouette. And he wasn't wearing a smile.
0: Addressing Eric and Alice, the colonel somberly said, quote, "'Your father has died.' It seems he fell or jumped from a hotel window.
1: The colonel gave no more information, but even then, the explanation didn't sit right.
0: That's because Frank Olson was no ordinary scientist. He was part of a highly classified program embedded deep in the CIA. And many believe his death may have been a cover-up.
1: You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
0: This is our first episode on Frank Olson, a military scientist working for the CIA. He was privy to some of the most classified, devious experiments in United States history, including MKUltra. That is, until he started having second thoughts.
1: Today, we'll discuss the horrors Frank witnessed while part of the CIA. Then, we'll see how the researcher was unwittingly turned into a test subject. Finally, we'll explore how his demise kicked off a decades-long whodunit over what truly caused his untimely end.
0: Next time, we'll examine two theories about Frank Olson like whether he helped the CIA poison an entire French town as part of their covert experiments. We'll also explore the question, did Frank die by suicide, or was he killed by the CIA for knowing too much?
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
0: This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T E R M I N I
2: X.com.
0: For Frank Olson, life in Indiana was pretty swell. He'd earned his Ph.D. in biochemistry in 1938, then got a job as an assistant researcher. He'd also proposed to and married his college girlfriend, Alice.
1: But that honeymoon phase of life wouldn't last forever, because at the height of World War II, the U.S. needed 32-year-old Frank Olson to join their ranks.
0: Around Christmas 1942, Frank's former thesis advisor recruited him for a unique project. He'd be stationed at a secret biological warfare laboratory located in the bowels of a military base called Camp Fort Dietrich in Maryland. But that meant the family would have to move cross-country.
1: As far as what went on there, Frank would have to keep those details to himself.
0: Alice later told reporters that while she was aware he worked in biochemical warfare, she never knew the true nature of her husband's job.
1: Which Alice seemed mostly fine with. At the time, she was pregnant with the couple's first son, Eric. The opportunity was great, both salary-wise and for Frank's career. So they picked up and went.
0: Before he knew it, Frank was deep in the development of deadly aerosol weapons, Ones that could theoretically allow soldiers to spray germs or toxins on their enemies.
1: He eventually became a captain in the U.S. Chemical Corps, working on other highly classified projects that continued even after the war was over.
0: Five years later, as the Cold War heated up, the cheerful, balding researcher was invited to learn the art of spycraft.
1: It all started one Saturday evening in July 1950, when Frank and his colleague were playing a game of cards. Frank had heard whispers about the recently formed Special Operations Division, a secret project out of Camp Dietrich.
0: Officially, the division was part of the Army, but in practice, the group was working directly with the CIA.
1: Little did Frank know that the friend across the table from him had just become chief of the division, until he invited him to join.
0: Frank couldn't resist. Soon the researcher was putting his work with airborne toxic agents to more practical use. As part of the Special Operations Division, Frank invented deadly shaving cream and insect repellent that could kill more than just bugs. He even developed a lethal lipstick and cigarette lighter that erupted with a cloud of fatal gas. It was enough to impress James Bond. While these
1: gadgets certainly sounded cool, the realities of testing them were a lot darker. The story goes that before long, Frank was beginning to feel a little uneasy about his brutal innovations.
0: His son Eric would later say that in the lab at Fort Dietrich, Frank oversaw experiments that poisoned live animals. This meant on a typical morning, he'd walk into work, only to see piles of dead monkeys who'd perished from his venomous clouds.
1: When he returned home most evenings, Alice noticed her once cheery husband was now eerily silent, and he couldn't talk about what was going on with her. He couldn't even tell her he worked for the CIA.
0: And that was just the beginning. The Special Operations Division was about to get its hands much dirtier.
1: US intelligence had recently heard rumors about the Soviet Union and North Korea. These enemy states weren't just finding new ways to kill soldiers. They were supposedly procuring ways to wipe their memories clean and gain control of their minds.
0: For instance, a former high-ranking communist official claimed that in the Korean War, which was occurring around this time, North Korea used around 900 American prisoners as human guinea pigs. He said they subjected them to mind-altering drugs in grotesque medical experiments.
1: The U.S. knew it needed to develop its own brainwashing methods if they were to keep up. Their ultimate goal? reprogram the mind of their enemy and get them to divulge secrets.
0: Or even carry out assassinations.
1: If the CIA could crack that code, they'd ensure American dominance forever.
0: During the spring of 53, the Special Operations Division aimed to make that mission a reality. A classified subdivision formed under their umbrella with a code name, MK-ULTRA.
1: Frank's colleague, a cunning chemist and spymaster, named Sidney Gottlieb, captained the project.
0: If you're a regular listener to this series, you probably know the purpose of MKUltra was to discover how much the human mind could take before it caved in, gave up its secrets, and a new memory could be implanted.
1: The program, which spanned two decades, was carried out in secret sometimes with unwitting test subjects like American soldiers, prisoners, psychiatric patients, and sometimes plain old civilians.
0: Journalist Stephen Kinzer, who'd spent years investigating MKUltra and Sidney Gottlieb, said, quote, This guy had a license to kill. He was allowed to requisition human subjects across the United States and around the world and subject them to any kind of abuse that he wanted even up to the level of it being fatal. Yet nobody looked over his shoulder. According to Kinzer, as the experiments got underway, Frank had a front row seat to the horrors of the research.
1: In early 1953, Frank flew to Germany to visit a CIA safe house. Only there was nothing safe about it.
0: Stephen Kinzer wrote, There, Frank witnessed brutal examinations conducted on suspected spies and other expendable prisoners. According to Kinzer's research, these subjects were interrogated to death using experimental methods that involved drugs and hypnosis, all in an effort to brainwash them.
1: In May of that year, Frank also visited England, where the UK government was studying the effects of nerve gas on the human body. And while this wasn't officially part of MKUltra, the United States and the UK were working together on similar disturbing technologies.
0: There at a top secret microbiological research facility, a 20-year-old soldier volunteered to be dosed with sarin, a chemical agent. The young man foamed at the mouth and went into convulsions. He died an hour later.
1: Frank was visibly shaken. It was nearly a decade after World War II, and here he was, watching the U.S. and their allied countries commit similar atrocities as those perpetrated by the Nazis. According to Stephen Kinzer, just a month later, Frank was visiting a CIA safe house in Germany when he, quote, saw men dying, often in agony, from the weapons he had made.
0: Frank had to tell someone his concerns. So when he returned to England, not long after his trip to Germany, he met with William Sargent, a UK psychiatrist involved with the sarin gas research. According to Sargent's meeting report, Frank told him he was deeply disturbed by what he'd seen. Sergeant listened intently.
1: But if Frank thought the doctor was there to help him, he was sorely mistaken. With so much at stake, perhaps Sergeant felt there was no room for doubts.
0: Coming up, Loose Lips Sank Ships. This episode is brought to you by Terminix.
2: Now back to the story.
1: Journalist Stephen Kinzer writes that in 1953, military scientist Frank Olson witnessed unspeakable horrors at the hands of the American government. They used toxins and allegedly torture to try and erase people's memories. Experiments under the larger MK-Ultra program.
0: Soon, Frank started having serious doubts and confessed his uncertainty to a psychiatrist who worked with the CIA named William Sargent. Unbeknownst to Frank, Sargent had no interest in doctor-patient confidentiality.
1: The psychiatrist actually sent a report of their meeting to his superiors. In it, he said Frank was seriously distressed over the interrogations in Germany. But more importantly, Sargent said the CIA scientist, quote, displayed symptoms of not wanting to keep secret what he had witnessed.
0: When Frank returned to the States, he took it upon himself to reset his state of mind. According to his nephew, Paul Wittig, Frank started reading the Bible for guidance, and that summer he took some time off. He spent two weeks with his brother-in-law, Paul's father, roofing a cabin in the Adirondacks. Based on their chats, it seemed Frank was undergoing a moral crisis, torn over whether his work was good or evil, and whether its ends justified the means.
1: So that fall, the scientist was probably relieved to be invited to a small work retreat where he could relax with his colleagues It was at a cabin in Western Maryland that sat on the banks of Deep Creek Lake.
0: Every few months, Frank, along with CIA scientists Sidney Gottlieb, Robert Lashbrook, and six others, gathered to trade secrets and swap stories. It was somewhat of a morale booster for a team dealing in death, poison, and brainwashing.
1: On Thursday, November 19th, 1953, The hard-boiled group settled in for a round of drinks. Lashbrook took out a bottle of orange liqueur called Cointreau and poured it into the men's glasses.
0: It may have felt good for Frank to kick back with the boys, especially after so much tension in England and Germany. So he drank up.
1: But as Frank settled in, he began feeling odd. Soon, the shapes in the room spiraled, like ripples in a pond. The other man looked strange, their features softly contorted, and his own body felt almost foreign.
0: It was then that Dr. Gottlieb spoke up.
1: He asked if anyone in the room was feeling a bit strange. He'd laced the Cointreau with hefty amounts of LSD.
0: Frank was said to be incensed, He'd been double-crossed. What was Gottlieb doing turning his colleagues into lab rats? He became agitated and tried to express his frustrations.
1: But it was too late. The drug was shutting down the flow of information to his temporal cortex and opening up a host of new neural connections. Within minutes, Frank had trouble separating fantasy from reality.
0: He started to become paranoid what if Dr. Gottlieb was trying to brainwash his own employees?
1: Frank wasn't the only one upset. According to Vincent Rouette, Frank's boss, who was also drugged, it was, quote, the most frightening experience I ever had or hoped to have.
0: Brainwashing or not, Gottlieb had experimented on his colleagues without their consent. But luckily, nobody's mind was permanently destroyed at least as far as they could tell at the time. they all made it to the morning.
1: Even so, Frank was a changed man.
0: Once he returned home, he acted withdrawn and had trouble sleeping. His wife, Alice, could tell something bad had happened at that retreat.
1: He kept telling her he'd made a terrible mistake, but he wouldn't say what.
0: That Sunday, the two went to see a film about Martin Luther, the Protestant priest. It followed Luther's life up to the pivotal moment when he decided to rebel against the Catholic Church. Perhaps that's when Frank mustered the courage to face his own demons.
1: That Monday, he strode into work straight to his boss's office. He told Rouette he was going to resign. Either that, or they'd have to fire him
0: it's easy to see how this might have presented a bit of a problem for the special ops division frank would have been privy to many secrets including the alleged interrogation centers in germany the reported sarin gas experiments in the uk and if the u.s used biological weapons during the korean war frank would have known that too
1: Stephen kinzer wrote that Sidney gottlieb the man who drugged frank just five days earlier realized they had an issue on their hands so he invited the scientist into his office rouette would later tell investigators frank was in his own words all mixed up so gottlieb offered him a solution
0: gottlieb's deputy robert lashbrook was headed to new york city frank could accompany him and speak with a physician there who had the right clearance levels that way he could chat openly and sort out his feelings. Frank agreed.
1: Let's pause for a moment to address something here. At this point, it's not quite clear what the LSD had done to Frank. The other men who'd been drugged felt a little weird afterward, but according to Sidney Gottlieb's testimony, Frank's thought process was especially confused.
0: However, it's possible that between what he supposedly witnessed in Europe and his superiors experimenting on him without his consent, Frank might have felt the US was no longer the good guy.
1: The day before Thanksgiving, Lashbrook took Frank to New York City as promised. There, the scientist met and poured his heart out to physician Dr. Harold Abramson.
0: He told the doctor that ever since the Deep Creek Lake incident, he'd been unable to work. He couldn't concentrate and had even forgotten how to spell. What's more, he was convinced the CIA was out to get him.
1: Dr. Abramson tried to reassure the scientist everything would get cleared up, and Frank did calm down for a little while.
0: That said, the doctor was in no way qualified to help. Besides being on MKUltra's payroll, Dr. Abramson wasn't a psychiatrist. He was a physician. He had barely any training in mental health. His specialty was allergies.
1: Instead of counseling Frank, Dr. Abramson apparently wanted to help Frank sleep. So he gave him two bottles, a sedative and a bourbon. That was it.
0: Next, the struggling scientist was brought to see another man on the CIA's payroll. But he wasn't a doctor or psychiatrist either. In fact, he was the most unlikely of counselors. His name was John Mulholland, and he was a New York City magician.
1: From time to time, the agency asked Mulholland to explain the unexplainable. Sleight of hand, trickery, that sort of thing. While the New York Times speculated, the magician might have been hired to hypnotize Frank. Lashbrook would later claim they just wanted to lift Frank's spirit.
0: But whatever Mulholland did only seemed to make things worse. Frank became highly agitated. He called Rouette, asking what was behind this treatment, and wondered, quote, What are they trying to do with me? Are they checking me for security?
1: According to the official story, from there, the night devolved into a nightmare. At different points, Frank staggered through the streets, trying to get rid of his wallet and ID cards. So it's no wonder that the next day, on Thanksgiving, Frank wasn't in better shape. They flew him back to Maryland, and Rouette picked him up from the airport. But when Frank stepped into the car, he freaked out.
0: According to Rouette, he said he was ashamed to meet his wife and family because he was confused. And when Rouette told him he couldn't just let him go off on his own, Frank said, quote, Well then, just turn me over to the police. They're looking for me anyway.
1: It's hard to know if we should trust Rouette's version of that conversation. But if it's true, it speaks to the paranoia Frank may have been experiencing. Rouette and Lashbrook decided another session with Dr. Abramson might do Frank some good. But this time, Rouette stayed behind in Maryland. Now, Frank would be under the care of his colleague, Robert Lashbrook.
0: Frank and Lashbrook flew to the city later that night and took a cab to Abramson's office in Long Island. With most restaurants closed for the holiday, the two CIA scientists had a quiet meal at a fast food joint nearby.
1: The next day, November 27th, Dr. Abramson drove them to his downtown Manhattan office. It was here the doctor made another suggestion. Frank should return home and check himself into a Maryland sanatorium.
0: Perhaps Frank felt relieved. They finally seemed to be taking his worries seriously, so his mood turned around. At dinner, he was actually excited about getting help from the hospital. He even mused about all the reading he'd get done there. He was a researcher, after all.
1: That's when he phoned home to Alice. On the call, he said he was feeling much better and looked forward to seeing her.
0: That same day, Frank and Lashbrook checked into the Statler Hotel and took the elevator to the 13th floor to room 1018A. With Lashbrook in the room, Frank wound down for the night. Dutifully, he washed his socks in the bathroom sink and watched some TV before going to bed. It was all going to be okay.
1: But around 2 a.m., the hotel window shattered into a million pieces. Moments later, Frank's body landed on the sidewalk, 13 stories below. He lay flat on his back, facing upward toward the night sky.
0: The hotel doorman saw him first. Without missing a beat, he ran into the hotel and shouted, We got a jumper! The
1: assistant night manager, Armand Pastore, sprinted over to the sidewalk where he saw Frank, still wearing his undershirt and shorts. His legs were broken and bent at a gruesome angle. And that's when he realized Frank Olson was still alive.
0: Coming up, a CIA cover-up is exposed. Now back to our story. In
1: 1953, the mastermind behind MK Ultra, Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, had drugged seven of his top personnel with LSD. One of them was CIA scientist Frank Olson, who became deeply troubled so much so that he wanted to hand in his resignation.
0: Instead of letting him go, the Special Operations Division whisked Frank off to New York to meet with a physician named Dr. Harold Abramson. They hoped speaking through his frustrations would help the troubled scientist, and for a moment it seemed to do the trick.
1: The night before they planned to return home, Frank and his colleague checked into the Statler Hotel in Midtown. All was quiet, Frank seemed to be in good spirits, but around 2 a.m., the room's window exploded.
0: Frank was falling 13 stories through the empty night air.
1: The hotel doorman called for the assistant night manager, Armand Pastore, who rushed toward the scientist's body. When he did, he noticed Frank was trying to mumble something.
0: It's not clear what Frank was trying to say, but whatever it was would have been his last words. Unfortunately, according to Pastore, quote, it was all garbled. Frank Olson took his last breath shortly thereafter.
1: The police were called in and swiftly raided Frank's room. Inside, they found Lashbrook sitting on the toilet, his head in his hands. He told the cops he'd been sound asleep when he woke to a flapping window shade
0: after the police interviewed lashbrook and a few others a theory took shape in the middle of the night frank olson had seemingly jumped from the 13th story window of the statler hotel taking his own life perhaps the drug trip was too much and the lsd from the week prior had sent his mind into a spiral but, of course, the police didn't know that part.
1: Pastori heard the suicide hypothesis, but had his doubts. Later, he said, quote, In all my years in the hotel business, I never encountered a case where someone got up in the middle of the night, ran across a dark room in his underwear, avoiding two beds, and dove through a closed window with the shade and curtains drawn.
0: Meanwhile, the CIA knew they had a mess to clean up. No one could find out Frank was an agency scientist, much less a part of the uber top secret MKUltra. The cover-up had to be swift and efficient.
1: According to Stephen Kinzer, that very morning they sent an agent to the Statler Hotel. His expertise? Making investigations disappear.
0: He persuaded the cops not to pry any further and to cooperate with misleading the press. Then he briefed Lashbrook with his cover story, complete with a fake career. That way, no matter how much he was questioned, Lashbrook wouldn't need to mention the reasons for his New York visit.
1: But there was still one final piece of the puzzle, notifying Frank's family. They gave that honor to Vincent Rouette.
0: Rouette arrived at the Olsens' home shortly before dawn. There, in the living room, he broke the news to the family. Frank had fallen or jumped from the Statler Hotel window. Rouette never mentioned he worked for the CIA, and he definitely didn't mention the LSD.
1: Frank's nine-year-old son, Eric, was in total shock. Later, he said, quote, it was as if... The plug were pulled from some central basin of my mind, and a vital portion of my consciousness drained out.
0: A few days later, after a cursory autopsy, the Special Ops Division sent the Olsen family Frank's body. It was sealed up in a casket. They
1: told Alice not to open it. It was too disturbing to look at.
0: Of course, keeping the casket closed also meant no one could examine the corpse thoroughly.
1: Back at CIA headquarters, an internal inquiry was launched into Frank's death. The agency determined there was a connection between the LSD incident at the cabin and Frank's sad end. However, they didn't clearly state what that connection was.
0: For his part, some might say Gottlieb showed little remorse. When talking about Frank's death at a hearing later on, he said it was just, quote, one of the risks running with scientific experimentation.
1: You'd think after this mess, the CIA might have reconsidered their future experiments with LSD. But they didn't. All they seemed to care about was the continuation of MKUltra and their unceasing mission to unlock the
0: secrets of mind control in the end they decided against reprimanding Gottlieb because it might dampen quote initiative and enthusiasm so necessary to our work so the CIA
1: carried on business as usual
0: back at the Olsen home the loss devastated the family Alice who held a job as a schoolteacher started drinking heavily to cope with her husband's sudden death Eventually, she was let go.
1: During this time, Vincent Rouette continued to come by the house and keep Alice company. But even he couldn't prevent her downward spiral. Alice started locking herself in the bathroom and drinking in secret. By the 1960s, she'd grown so weak and haggard her own son didn't even recognize her. Eric later claimed, quote, the CIA didn't kill only our father, they killed our entire family again and again.
0: The Olsen siblings did their best to move on. Eric got a PhD in psychology from Harvard and pursued a career in therapy. But no matter what direction his life took, he said, quote, my world kept collapsing.
1: As the years passed, he just couldn't stop thinking about the mystery of what happened to his father that night at the Statler Hotel. Yet, whenever he asked about it, Alice laid down the law, like a mantra, saying, quote, you are never going to know what happened in that room.
0: Eric had nearly resigned himself to the fact that a chunk of Frank's story would always be missing. Then, more than two decades later, new information caused the plot to thicken.
1: In June, 1975, President Gerald Ford ordered an investigation into the abuses of the CIA.
0: The inquiry came to be known as the Rockefeller Commission, and deep in its findings was a little-known program called MKUltra. When investigators probed the depths of the agency's record-keeping, a secretary inadvertently offered them a file which made it into the report
1: two paragraphs in the document were dedicated to a nameless army employee who unwittingly took LSD as part of a CIA test. He developed serious side effects, jumped from a hotel window, and died. A national newspaper ran the headline about the mysterious scientist as, quote, suicide revealed.
0: I'm not sure who in the Olson family saw the articles first, but the story of the army researcher sounded more than familiar. So Eric's sister, Lisa, confronted Rouette about the report. At first, he tried to dodge the question, but eventually he gave up the truth.
1: The man in the report was Frank Olson, and he had been drugged by the CIA before his death.
0: The family was appalled. For 20 years, they were under the impression Frank's death had come out of nowhere. And now they realized their own government was not only partially responsible, they'd lied to them the entire time. They wanted justice.
1: That summer, Frank's family held a press conference in their backyard. They shared what they knew of Frank's story to the world and said they planned to sue the US government.
0: Uh, Of course, this didn't go over well at the White House. A staff member's memo to President Ford's chief of staff warned that if this lawsuit succeeded, they might have to disclose even more classified material. So it was up to Ford to head this off at the pass.
1: Ford invited the Olson family to the Oval Office. During the meeting, he sat in a high-backed chair across from Alice, who, at this point, was frail from her years of struggling with alcohol use. Stone-faced, Ford expressed sympathy and apologized on behalf of the U.S. government. The meeting only lasted 17 minutes.
0: A week later, Eric and his family entered the CIA headquarters. They took the elevators to the seventh floor and stepped inside the office of William Colby, the agency's then director.
1: Colby had served in World War II, running stealth missions behind enemy lines. But GQ reporter, Mary Fisher wrote that, according to his memoir, this meeting was one of the most difficult assignments he ever received.
0: He apologized for what he said was a terrible mistake that never should have happened. He said, quote, some of our people were out of control in those days. They went too far.
1: The apology ended by giving the family a monetary settlement and a stack of declassified documents. Colby said everything Eric wanted to know about his father was inside.
0: But as 32-year-old Eric poured through the papers, he realized something was off.
1: The files contained contradictory information. One New York Times journalist basically called it a jumble of deletions, conflicting statements, and unintelligible passages. There were strange references to things like Project Bluebird and the Artichoke Committee. Eric had the feeling these files were just the tip of the iceberg. And he was right.
0: They were just a fraction of the records they had on Frank. The bulk of the MKUltra files, had been destroyed by Sidney Gottlieb when he retired in 1973, before the Rockefeller Commission even had a chance to bring the dark program into the light. Whether
1: Gottlieb aided in the cover-up or was simply cleaning house, it's hard to know. But since he devoted his career to keeping MKUltra a secret, he probably wanted to hide the evidence.
0: So Eric began poking around He interviewed people who worked with Frank. And though he had his brother's support, his mother didn't want to reopen that old wound. The truth that Eric was so desperate to find was too much for Alice to bear. Eric couldn't blame her, so he dialed it back. But in
1: 1978, the family received a letter that changed everything.
0: The Statler's assistant night manager at the time, Armand Pastore, had written to the Olson family saying there was something he needed to get off his chest. It was about the night Frank died.
1: He'd stood outside the hotel, gazing down at Frank's broken body. But when he looked up, he could see the curtains blowing from room 1018A. From there, Armand followed his curiosity.
0: He walked into the lobby and asked the telephone operator if any calls had been made from the room after Frank fell. The operator said yes. Not only that, but the employee had listened in.
1: This was an invasion of privacy, of course. But at a time when phones had to be routed through switchboards, it was fairly common. The strange thing was the details the operator overheard.
0: Kinzer writes that moments after Frank's fatal fall, someone in the room made a call to Dr. Harold Abramson. The guest in the hotel said, he's gone. Abramson replied, quote, well, that's too bad.
1: It was a strange response, especially for someone who'd supposedly tried to help Frank, almost as if Abramson knew it was coming.
0: To Eric, this was a smoking gun. For him, it all but confirmed something he'd suspected for a long time, but didn't dare whisper aloud. His father hadn't died by suicide.
1: Eric believed he'd been killed because of what he knew. He believes the CIA thought he'd tell the world about a highly classified interrogation program, and to keep him quiet, they carried out an assassination.
0: After reading the letter, Eric was ready to continue his fight for justice. However, there was one little problem.
1: When the Olson family brought their grievance to the White House a couple of years prior, they got a settlement of $750,000.
0: And like most agreements, there was a catch. To receive the funds, they had to sign a waiver releasing the CIA from any further liability meaning they'd forfeited the right to sue the government.
1: But years later, one lawyer offered Eric a glimmer of hope. There was a loophole. All Eric had to do was prove his father's death was a homicide. He needed forensic evidence, and to get it, Eric would have to dig up his own father's grave.
0: Next week, we'll discuss two conspiracy theories about Frank Olson.
1: Conspiracy theory number one, that Frank helped the CIA experiment on an entire French village. They released a toxic chemical found in LSD, and the town devolved into mass hysteria. It might be one of the reasons the agency may have killed Frank Olson.
0: And conspiracy theory number two, We'll follow Eric Olson as he hunts down clues to determine whether his father died by suicide or if he was killed by the CIA for knowing too much.
1: The Cold War signaled a dark time for American intelligence. MKUltra was proof the government would, at the very least, drug a citizen to get a leg up on the competition. It also meant that, at the time, the most important thing was secrecy.
0: And as Eric Olson said, you can't have an MKUltra unless you're willing to terminate people who threaten to expose it. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. For more information on MKUltra, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Guardian article, From Mind Control to Murder, How a Deadly Fall Revealed the CIA's Darkest Secrets by Stephen Kinzer, extremely helpful to our research.
1: We're here on Mondays and Wednesdays
0: with all new episodes. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
1: And the official story isn't always the truth.
0: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Our head of programming is Julian bois Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production, and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Ben Caro, edited by Wendelin Sabroso and Lori Marinelli, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, researched by Brian Petris, recorded by Alex Button, produced by Bruce Gotovic, with sound design by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy.